Good morning. Welcome home, family. It's great to see everyone. We are continuing our series going through the book of Proverbs. We'll be in the book of Proverbs for uh, about 11 or so more weeks. We started last week when we talked about how the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all knowledge, is the beginning of the place of how we have understanding or wisdom about this world, is we have to have a right understanding about who God is and how he made the world and how we're supposed to follow him. And now we're going to go into a warning that it, uh, the book of Proverbs gives us about ways in which we can be led astray. But before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father, thank you so much for this day that we can gather together as your people and praise your holy name through song and through prayer and through sitting under your word and growing as your people. Lord, I just pray for this time as we open up your word and as we, as we set it before ourselves and learn from it that you are working powerfully through it, that your spirit is moving inside of us, bringing the truth to us as a church, that we can be people of the book, that we can be people of your word, that build our life on your wisdom that you've given us. Lord, I pray for all the people here and all the people who are not here at Colorado Valley Home, that they can be devoted and to your word, make it a practice to meditate on it day and night, make it a practice to get it in their life and let it dwell in their life richly. Lord, let us be, be your people. Let's pursue you with love. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I have a brother who lives in Colorado, in Grand Junction, Colorado, uh, named Seth, and he has a little bit of a, a hobby farm, you might say. These are some animals that are useless that they just keep around for, for whatever purpose. And the first ones they got were a couple of yaks. If you don't know what a yak is, it's a long-haired wild cow thing with horns. And so he got two yaks, and a male and a female, and the male was named Chewy, of course, after Chewbacca. And so he would, as this yak was little, he would play with the yak, grab his horns and kind of rustle with it and kind of roughhouse with it. And he thought it was all good fun until all of a sudden that yak grew up to be, you know, almost a thousand pounds, I believe. And it was not so much fun to play with that yak. And that yak wanted to still play. Or maybe he just wanted to kill people because of how he played with them. I don't know. You're, he almost killed my sister-in-law a couple times. He almost killed my dad when he was visiting. My brother, you know, he's just a Harvey farmer. He goes and he talks to a rancher who actually raises yaks for a living. And he relays that story to this rancher. And the rancher looked at him like, you are the biggest idiot ever. You don't train a bull yak to think it can play with you as another yak. It's idiotic because it's fun when it's small, but when it gets big, it gets downright dangerous. But the funny thing, not ha-ha, but funny, as this how the world works, how we work, is so many people treat sin in that same way. It's all fun and games when the sin is small, when they can handle it, when it doesn't really make a big deal, but sin grows and becomes a man-killer. And if you train yourself to be just messing around, playing with it, thinking it's no big deal, next thing you turn around and you have a man-killer bearing down on you, destroying your life. That so many people, so often, we like to toil, toy or play with sin, but yet realize, not realizing 
what's going to be the result of that. It's no wonder, because we live in a society that does not like the concept of sin. We live in a society that wants more, and we don't understand it. They want to redefine it. They want to redraw the boundaries outside of what God says and make things that we know from the Word are not okay to be okay. Or even more often, I've seen more recently, is people actually want to take the whole concept of sin and just throw it away because it's really kind of abusive, really, and it really is, is, is restrictive to my free life. That we don't like sin, this concept of sin, we don't want it in society. Our society is kind of wanting to push away from that. But the Bible tells us directly there are ways that we lead to life as we follow God. And then there's ways that lead away from God that result in death. And that is sin, that is ways in which we don't live as God directs us. And the Bible gives us this warning in Proverbs about the danger of sin and how it can entice us away from following God. And we see this in Proverbs chapter 1, verses 8 through 19. So if you want to join me in your Bibles in Proverbs chapter 1, you can do so. It's going to be on the screen if you don't have it. And if you want to follow along on a paper Bible, under some chairs in front of you, you'll find one, and that will be on page 494 that you'll find in Proverbs chapter 1. Well, let's read this together. Proverbs chapter 1, verse, sorry, in verse 8. It says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole, like those who have gone down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our house with, houses with plunder. Throw in our lot among us, and we will have all one purse. My son, do not walk in the way of the, with them. Hold back your foot from their paths. For their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. What are we to make of this warning in the book of Proverbs? I, very, I think it very simply we say, be wary of enticing sin. Now we need to be out on the lookout for enticing sin. Last week, as I said, we talked about the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all knowledge, that the, how we base wisdom and how we live rightly before God is we have a correct understanding who, of who he is. And now it's warning us, but there's some ways of life, there's ways of thinking, ways of operating in this world that are going to entice on Christ and our, our God and his goodness and the ways in which he turned out for us and thinking we can go another way, that we need to be wary of enticing sin because it leads us from God. When we look at the book of Proverbs in this chapter, we see how chapter uh, verse 8 begins with this instruction. Eight and nine are beginning with this instruction of a parent, parents uh, talking to the kids. And when you read the book of Proverbs, this is how a lot of the dialogue goes, is as these parents are training up their son, their children, in the ways of God. They're training up them in the ways in which how they should be thinking of the world and how they should be reacting. That the Proverbs is kind of has this familial sense to it, that they're training up their young ones. 
And it makes sense when you think about when Proverbs was written and the, the culture back then that the main form of education and instruction happened within the home. It was the family's duty to train up their children in the ways of God. It was the family's duty to train them up to be good citizens in their society. It was the family's duty to make sure that our kids, the young ones, knew how to think about life and how to approach God. That was their duty. And when you read about the Hebrew society or the Jewish society, you see how that's, that's like the core of their faith. And we can go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. It starts off with their statement of faith, all your might. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. And then he goes, you shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk to them when you sit in your house. And you walk by the way. And when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. And they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. To the core of the Jewish faith was this idea that you raise your kids in the ways of God. You teach them this. Actually, it's wise for families to train their children in the ways of God and the wise ways in which we live. We see this familiar setting in this, these verses that kind of it makes sense of almost all families. Because it says, hey, you know, <clears throat> hear my son, your father's instruction. This, this word instruction really carries this... Uh, connotation of correction or discipline and how it's almost a date to most families that the father brings the correction or discipline to a lot of the kids. Like when they get off track, they're like, no, no, this is the way to go. And then it says, uh, do not forsake your mother's teaching, which is the word Torah, this law, this idea that moms are supposed to provide that moral uh, standpoint on which way to go and teach their kids the truth of who God is. And we see this fulfilled beyond just the family setting to any teacher to their pupil. That the same thing is true, that you teach those who are listening the truth of who God is and how they should go. And when we think about us and how we learn God provided us this book and God, the ultimate teacher, is teaching us, training us in his ways and in his truth. And we should listen to his instruction and not disregard it. Why? Because he says, if we follow wise instruction, if we're following and listening to the ways of life, it actually becomes an adornment to your life. People see it. He uses poetic language like a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. But he's pointing out the fact that when you live wisely, when you're following your parents' instructions who are directing you towards God, people actually notice it and it adorns your life. People might say stuff like, man, you sure got a good head on your shoulders. Or they might say something like, someone raised you right. Because they see you and how you're living and responding to circumstances and they see this wisdom that's adorning your life. That's a good thing for people to see you following the ways of God, following wisdom, and they see it and they recognize it. And they recognize that you're not following foolish ways. Well, as we listen to God's word, as we let it dwell in us richly, it provides us wisdom for life. It directs us in which way to go, how to respond to different circumstances. And then when we follow God's ways, it should be noticeable and different. The world actually should see that 
And it should see that our, the God's wisdom is adorning our lives like a graceful garland on your head or a pendant on your neck, and they take note of it. And they actually see it as a good thing. The people should actually look at your, our lives as we follow God and actually say, they are actually living wise. They're actually, it's going well for them because they're not making a train wreck of their life because they're listening to God's wisdom, and it actually adorns their life. The sad state, so many of us, and myself included at times, is that we can be so preoccupied with not standing out that we forget that as we follow God, we're supposed to stand out. That we forget that as we follow God, we don't live like the rest of the world that has no hope. We don't live like the rest of the world that's following its own passions and ideas and philosophies. We don't operate like that. We stand apart because we, when their life is going not well, after following their own devices and ideas, that they look at the church and what they should see are people who are following God. It's not a, it's not a promise from the, the, the horrible things that can happen in life. It's not a promise against a hard life, but it is a promise that when you follow God's way, generally speaking, it goes better for you. You don't make a train wreck of your life as you follow sin. And we listen to God's instructions and apply it to our life. But there is a force that our voices and oppose to this. That God says, listen to me, follow my instructions, apply these things to your life. But yet there are ways and people opposed to that, as we see in verse 10 through 14. It says, my son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. There's this idea we're introduced to this new kind of person, the sinner. This person that's, that is making a practice or a habit of willfully disobeying God's way. When we read this, we shouldn't just think, oh, all people are sinners, and so it's talking about us. No, it's talking about those people who have made it their life identity or passion to walk their own way, to disregard God's law and his word, and just to do their own thing. These are the sinners who want nothing to do with God. These are the sinners who don't even confess God and fear him. That's what it means by the sinner. These are people who take sin, these things uh, uh, contrary to God's way of life that he gives us in the Bible and applies to our life to say, I'm going to follow that full tilt and it's going to define who I am. The Bible gives us many different kind of ways in how we talk about sin and how we describe sin. We, it talks about how sin is a trespass, meaning it's, there's a boundary there and we willfully cross that boundary and do what we want. Uh, the Bible talks about sin as missing the mark, meaning there's a standard of living that we have or a standard of operation and we can't actually reach that standard. But the Bible also talks about sin in this way that us as the fool, the obstinate one, who's not going to listen to advice or instruction, but is going to operate in what's wise in their own eyes, going to do their own thing, is unable to be taught, unable to be corrected. That's the sinner operating in the ways they think is wise. And these sinners are going to entice us. It says, if sinners entice you. One commentary phrase like this, those seasoned in sin, they want you 
to be with them. They're not content to just be out on their own rebelling against God. They want you to be there with them. If you've ever experienced peer pressure to do things you don't want to do or know you shouldn't do, that's the essence of it. Is that, well, I don't know why it is. Maybe it's because we're herd animals in instinct, but people cannot just completely ruin their life on their own. They want you to come along. They want you right there with them as they don't recognize God and do what they want. They want you to be with them, but yet it says don't listen to them. Don't consent to them. That idea that it's like you don't follow, you don't give consent, that you actually have a choice. You can say no. And that was the urging here is that this child who's being trained in wise living, when someone comes along who does not listen to God, says, come with us, don't give in. Don't consent to live with them. But they're going to entice you. They're going to make what they're, how they're living look good. They're going to make what they're doing look like it's pleasant and it goes well and it feels good. Once they come on, they know, you should know, it might look good in the moment, but when you bite down on that, it's not going to be good. I couldn't help but think of the great theologically rich movie, Finding Nemo. I don't know. I have kids, so I watch a lot of, a lot of books, a lot of movies like that. But at one point, the, little, the two little fishes, uh, you know, um, Marlin and, and Dory, thank you, they, they go down in the depths of the sea, and they encounter what's called an anglerfish. If you don't know what an anglerfish is, it's one of those deep-sea creatures that looks like, you know, I don't think, did God make that? That's a scary thing down there, right? But this, this deep-sea fish with big fangs, but what they see first is this little light bobbing. And the fish in Marlin kind of goes, oh, it makes me feel warm and good. It's like, I want to touch it. It's like, come back here, and it kind of dangles and moves it. I want to touch it. And it leads it right to the jaw, like leads them right to the jaws of this predatory fish. That's what sin does. It lures you. That's what sinners do. They lure you, entice you in, and say, "Come along with us. It's all good." But the result is not following God. The result is death. And then, and what we're called to do is don't consent to the ways in which lead to death. Don't consent. You see, it gives us this example that probably doesn't really hit home for most of us. It gives us an example that someone's talking to this young man and saying, hey, come out, we're going to become robbers, sitting on the wayside, taking care of people, and killing them, and taking their goods. Most likely that doesn't appeal to many of us. If it does, talk to someone. You need help. But we all need help. But it gives us this example of how it entices people in. You see how these sinners talk. They say, come with us. They're inviting people with them. They want people to be with them. Let us do this thing together. Like you're going to be one of the gang. You're going to be one of the pals. You're going to be part of us. Come with us. And it entices them in. And you're going to get stuff that maybe you want. You're going to fill your houses with plunder, all those nice and shining goods that you haven't gotten. We can go get it right now. We can take it off these people. Who cares if we have to kill them? We're going to get what we want. And it ends with this idea, hey, share with us. 
Throw in your lot among us and we'll all have one purse. We'll take care of you. We'll be your new family. We'll be there with you. And it carries a sense of, hey, we're in this together. But if you've ever been entangled with sin, these are the promises and they never come to be how they promise it to be. That we can take this example and take it to any other sin that we kind of struggle with and we see the same thing as promised. And we'll always be there and we're sure of you and we, we know that always lets us down and it's not what they promised. And we're not called to consent to this. We're called not to listen to this but rather to go the ways in which godly instruction provides us. Because as the writer of Proverbs says, there's a result if you follow sinners. There's a result in your life. In verses 15 to 19, we see the result that happens. First says, my son, do not walk in the way with them. It goes back to what Lane read, the Psalm 1, that the, the blessed is the man who does not walk in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers or stand in the way of sinners or stand in the seat of mockers, that we don't go the way of people opposed to God because before you know it, you're associated with them. You don't set yourself on this path. Don't do it, he pleads. Why? Because look at what their path is. Their feet run to evil. They make haste to shed blood. These people sinning become such a part of their life that they become quick to sin. It's how they habitually live and act. It becomes their way of life. They don't just toy with it anymore. They're running to it. That's how they live. They're going to run right into sin because that's how they're trained their lives to be. And, and so this parent is saying, don't put your foot on that path because before you know it, you live because look what happens. The sin in which they're doing ends up consuming them. It talks about how they're basically lying in wait for these people, but yet that results in the ambush being on themselves. That they reap the rewards, that the sin actually is self-defeating, that they're looking to take someone else, but it's actually going to lead to their own death. The sin is self-defeating, and, and finally, death is the final result. And when we read the whole Bible, we see this is true. That the ways in which we are living that are contrary to God's written word, to God, how God wants us to live, what is the wages we reap because of that is death. But God gives us life in Christ. But we see this result that when people follow sinners, this happens. And it doesn't matter what sin is. It doesn't matter if it's an example of ambushing people, robbing them, or if it's with stuff like pornography, or if it's stuff like inappropriate relationship, or stuff like gossip, or stuff like lying, or if it's, or it's stuff like improper gain. You see how that happens and grows. That you start, you pull, once you put your foot upon that path, you start to become quick to run in that way. It's so much easier to walk that well-tread path to follow the ways of sin if you start practicing it. You become quick to do it. But it's self-defeating. The things we want to gain from these things, that we have to recognize that end as self-defeating, that while it might feel good in the moment, or we might get those gains in the moment, or the temporary, it ends up being self-defeating. And ultimately, when we stray away from the ways of God, the end result is death. The end result is being estranged from our Creator. Be wary of enticing sin. But the great fact is that if you know Jesus Christ, 
if you know Christ as your Savior, if you believe him to be true and how he has presented us through his word, that he is God himself, come down to live the life we could never live, who had went to the cross freely to take our sins upon himself, who rose from the grave vindicating what he said and showing that he truly was God, who is now ascended and sits on the right hand of the throne of the Almighty, interceding for us moment by moment. If you truly believe that to be true, you know you don't have to consent to the ways of sin. Because Christ has freed you from sin. When we think about which way we choose, sometimes we can think about following God or following Jesus and his word and this kind of fork in the road. Which way are you going to take? Freed from enslaving sin, and now we can follow him. And he's given us his word, and he's given us the Holy Spirit to be wise in, in how we do this. But now we choose, are we going to keep our eyes fixed on our Savior and follow him, or are we going to lose sight of who he is and choose to go back to our old way of living. But glory be when we think about this, the grace that Christ has given us, that we can choose to follow God, that this is true for us, that when we hear the instruction by God, we can apply the word of God to our lives and say, he has given us wisdom in which we should live, and we can walk out that life given the power to walk it by Christ, given the power to walk it by the Holy Spirit that dwells in us because we know Christ, that we can choose to follow. So if you are a Christian, if you know Christ, that is you. And the urging here is don't take your eyes off Christ. Don't be enticed by the shiny, flashing things of this world that lure you or entice you away. Keep your eyes on him. If you're not a Christian, if you haven't confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are enslaved to sin and you'll continually choose there. Look upon Christ. See him as the Bible presents him. See him as so many here faithful Christians will present him as the Savior. Look upon him and you too can be saved and freed from that sin that leads you away from God. Do not consent to this sin. Be wary of that enticing sin and focus your eyes on Christ. The fact of the matter is that we have the most beautiful Savior that could ever be. And when we see truly of who he is, when we truly see our God and how he loves us and the extent in which he loves us and the extent in which Jesus lived perfectly, and we see that, we understand that it should woo and break our hearts to have to follow, that he is more glamorous than anything else, that when we truly understand who God is, we'll want to follow Christ because of the beauty of Christ, the majesticness of our God. We want to follow him. And when we lose sight of that is where we can so easily stumble and fall. So the urging again is to lift your eyes up and see who Christ is. Focus your eyes on him and know how his love for you. Know how he works in your life and is there for you. Know all what he has done and how God has orchestrated you of Christ. Don't lose sight of it. Gather together with Christians who help you lift your eyes to him. Open up the book and read so you can remind yourself again and again 
of the beauty of our Christ. When things lure or entice you, and you know you can easily be led astray, get rid of them, for there is no good there. Why would you toil with that when you have God before you? Why would you toil with that who might give you a momentary pleasure when you have eternity awaiting you? And we focus our eyes on our Savior and know Him. And we're wary of enticing sin. Join me in prayer. Dear Father, thank you so much for your word that we can read it and we can understand it and we can be encouraged by it. Lord, I pray for everyone here that we can know your truth and we can saturate our hearts and our minds with your truth. That we can be people of your word and be people who pursue you and know the result that happens when we are led astray or when we keep our eyes off of you. Lord, I pray for this church that we can each other and ourselves to refocus our eyes continually daily upon you and your beauty so we can realize it's better to follow you, it's better to know you than to fall into any enticing sin. Lord, we love you, we seek you, and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you would like to stand with us in this last song, I invite you to do that now.